Amen. Amen. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. Jesus is good. This is part two of our series, The Unknown Jesus, or Jesus Unknown. Jesus Unknown. The Unknown Jesus. We're breaking some stereotypes. We've got a lot of Jesus stereotypes. Things that people believe about Jesus that are just not correct. You see, the problem with stereotypes in our culture is that most of them are true. A lot of them are true. You know what I'm talking about? Black people do like chicken. It's not just a stereotype. There's some truth to it. I was at the car wash yesterday and this car pulled up and I thought, Mexican dude. And sure enough, the door opened and a Mexican dude got out. I mean, you could kind of, it's kind of obvious. But there are some stereotypes that are not true at all. Like not all black people can sing. Not all white people's food is bland. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Well, there's stereotypes about Jesus that we got to break. And the stereotype about Jesus that we're going to break today is this idea that you can find him anywhere because he's everywhere. And if you just continue your life as it is, you'll eventually just run into him. Like there's these misconceptions about the love of Jesus that we need to break because they're not biblical. And this is the simple truth that I wish to communicate in this message today. Jesus must be sought if he is to be found. Jesus must be sought if he is to be found. He is only found by those who seek him. And if you refuse to seek him, you will not find him. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, Seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will only find him if you search for him with all your heart. Jesus must be sought. I'm reading from the book of Luke chapter 2 verses 41 and following book of Luke chapter 2 verses 41 and following I'm reading out of the New King James version the New King James version This is what it says His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover And when he was 12 years old they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast When they had finished the days as they returned the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among the relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, 
both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Let's read verse 51 too. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would speak to us and that you'd give us understanding and open our hearts to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's one biblical truth, it's that Jesus is only found by those who seek him. And this applies to everybody. Even his own mama and daddy had to seek him in order to find him. Remember, from the very beginning, they had to leave Nazareth and go all the way to Bethlehem in order to have him. And then the wise men had to leave the east and journey to the other side of the world in order to find him. And then the shepherds had to leave their flocks on the hill and go down into Bethlehem in order to find him. His disciples had to leave their boats and their nets in order to follow him. Jairus had to leave the side of his daughter who was dying in order to seek Jesus. Meaning that when Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, left the bedside of his daughter who was dying, he ran the risk of not being at her side when she breathed her last breath. But he left her side in order to seek Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood had to leave her house, which she wasn't supposed to do, had to press her way through the crowd in order to touch Jesus. Everyone who encountered Jesus, who found him, find that, found that in their own way, they had to seek him. And in order to seek him, they had to be willing to walk away from some stuff. That is, in order to seek Jesus, everyone who has ever sought Jesus has found that in order to seek Jesus, I've got to stop seeking these things. In order to seek Jesus, I've got to leave these things. I've got to walk away from this in order to walk towards Jesus. But there's this idea in our culture that you can have it both ways. That you can have it your way right away. That you can continue your life as it is and do everything the way you've always done it. You can pursue all of your dreams and all of your hopes and have Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is the homie. We be kicking it all the time. That's why it's so popular in our culture to claim Jesus. People who are living lives that you know are antithetical to his gospel claim him. Just want to thank God. Remember when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson back in the day? What did he say? Remember he was interviewed after the fight? He's like, I just want to thank God. I just want to thank God for giving me the power to knock him on his ASS. 
That's why he's in there laying on his, you know what I mean? He starts cussing. It's like, it's like you know what I mean? I'm thanking God for stuff that God doesn't necessarily have anything to do with. Here in this situation, it's interesting because his parents thought they knew him. It says they go to Jerusalem for the feast, and when it's time to leave, they just left. They assumed that he was in the company. Put verse 42 back up there. Luke 2, 42, verse, uh, verse uh, 43. When they had finished... The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. He lingered behind, they moved on ahead, and they were not even aware of the fact that he was no longer with them. If Jesus lingers in a particular place and you've moved on, at what point do you become aware of it? At what point do you become aware of the fact that you've left the presence of Jesus? You see, we make so much of the fact that he promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, that we don't realize that the same burden of reciprocation rests upon us, that what he's looking for from us is, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's never enough for one person. When he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he wasn't taking your responsibility. He was saying, I will never walk away from you. But he wasn't saying, you will never walk away from him. His parents, his very, who loved him, walked away from him and didn't even know it. All it took was a day to get disconnected from his presence. All it took was to go a day and not seek him. They just assumed he's with me wherever I go. They just assumed he'll follow me wherever I go. They just assumed he'll bless whatever I do. They just assumed. And there is truth in that. But when that truth convinces us that we no longer need to seek him, that truth has become presumption. It's become familiarity. And familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus had lingered behind, but mom and dad didn't even know it. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Well, first, look at verse 44. But supposing him to have been in the company, they just assumed he's with, he's with one of the cousins. Because everybody went to the feast. You know, the whole town of Nazareth went to the feast. They all went to the feast, so he's probably kicking it with his cousins. He's probably with the auntie over there or, or uncle. He's probably, you know with grandma, grandpa, who, who knows who he's with, but he's with somebody, he's in the company, he's in the house somewhere, assuming him to be in the company, one of the greatest, one of the, 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 one of the greatest misassumptions that we can make is to, to assume that Jesus is in the company. Whatever the company is for you. There's a lot of assumptions in our world today that Jesus is in the company. He's in our denomination somewhere. And as long as I'm with the denomination, I'm with Jesus. He's in our political party. He's on our side. And as long as I'm with that party, I'm with Jesus. He's in my family. You know, I got, I got a praying mom, praying dad. So he's there. And as long as I stick close to the family, he's there. Nothing replaces the personal presence of Jesus. Even if he is in the company, 
The question is not, is he in the company? The question is, he, is, is he with you? They went a day's journey. They went a whole day without talking to Jesus. A whole day without becoming aware of his presence. A whole day without seeking him. They went a whole day, and at a certain point, what activated on the inside of them was the awareness that we've been without his presence for too long. Something's missing. That's a wonderful moment, isn't it? When you become aware, whether you know Jesus or not, there's a moment of awareness. I remember when my father was backslidden and he wasn't walking with the Lord. I remember at 13 years old when that moment clicked for him, when he became aware that something was missing in his life and he needed to get it back. Long before or shortly before he actually made his way to the altar to rededicate his life to the Lord when I was 13, I saw the shift where the stuff that used to satisfy him no longer satisfied him. And there were little signs. But I remember, you know, he used to play the radio. He used to play, you know, secular music 24-7. And, you know, in me growing up in a Pentecostal church, that was called devil music. Anything that was not a hymn was devil music. Right? And so that's what I believe. My, I, had to, I was subjected to my dad's devil music every day. Well, I remember one day in the car, he turned off the devil music. It was like I saw this frustration in his face where it was no longer hitting the spot for him. And he turned it off. Now, not that all secular music is devil music. But he was living outside of the presence of Jesus, outside of daily fellowship with Jesus, outside of the house of God and the people of God. And he had been so disconnected from the presence of Jesus. And at a certain point, that disconnection caught up with him. And I saw something on the inside of him said, enough, enough. This is what happens with Mary and Joseph. They get a day's journey and they said, this is far enough. This is long enough to go without being in the presence of Jesus. We've got to seek him now. We've got to find him now. We've got to search for him now. And a decision was made in their hearts that whatever we have to do to find him, we're going to do it. That's when your life changes. When a decision is made. Until the decision is made that I'm going to find Jesus whatever I have to do. You linger in this obscure place like, well, maybe one day, you know. Maybe, you know, hopefully one day, you know, he'll like show up and maybe one day he'll, you know, maybe one day. If you're living in that maybe one day spirituality, regardless of whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, that maybe one day spirituality is not going to cut it. It's not going to bring about any change in your life, just as it wouldn't do in any area of your life. A decision has to be made. A decision has to be made. And the decision is not to say the sinner's prayer. This is one of the biggest problems in Christianity, is we've told you from these, these platforms that the decision is to walk up here and then repeat a prayer after me. And that somehow, that can change your life, but it only changes your life if it is combined with a decision in your heart to seek Him, Jesus, every day, 
and to live in his presence, a decision to follow him wherever he goes, to become his disciple, making a decision, I'm going to know him. And whatever I have to do to know him, I'm going to do it. And whatever I have to let go of to follow him, I'm going to let go of it. Whatever I have to do to seek him, I'm going to seek him until I find him. And I'm not going to stop. And I'm not going to give up. And one of the greatest problems in the church is we got believers who have lived in the church and gone to church for years and decades and never actually made that decision. I decided to go to church, but I haven't made a decision to live in the presence of Jesus. I haven't made a decision that I'm not going to spend another day outside of the presence of Jesus. I'm going to seek him until I find him. That was the decision that Mary and Joseph made. It's been long enough. We've gone an entire day without seeing him. We've gone an entire day without hearing his voice. We've gone an entire day without sensing his presence near us. It's time for us to seek him until we find him. And it says, and they sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. The first thing they did was look for him in the familiar place. First thing they did was think, nothing in my life has to change. He's right here. He's somewhere here. Somewhere here. Nothing in my life has to change. I'm just going to seek him amongst my relatives and acquaintances. I'm going to seek him amongst the progression that's already transpiring in my life. The caravan is moving back to Bethlehem, or moving back to Nazareth. We're going to seek him in the caravan. Verse 45, so when they did not find him, they didn't find him in the familiar. They didn't find him in the mundane, in the everyday. they realized that they had to leave the caravan in order to find Jesus. Everyone's going to Nazareth. They had to go back to, be, to, back to Jerusalem. Everyone was going left. They had to make a decision to go right. Everyone was going east. They had to make a decision to go left, to go west. Everyone's going north. They had to make a decision to go south. This is what it takes to seek Jesus. To make a decision, I'm not going where everyone goes, I'm following Jesus. I'm not running in the direction of everyone, I'm running in the direction of Jesus, and at a certain point I might have to leave everyone. I was watching my brother when he was making his transition. It wasn't just a transition into the faith, it was a new way of life. And for a while, he had to cut off all of his friends and all of his acquaintances and everything that he held dear, he had to walk away from it because he kept falling. He kept tripping. He kept trying to do both at the same time, trying to keep the same group of friends but walk with Jesus, trying to keep the same acquaintances and the same schedule but walk with Jesus. And at a certain point, he had to cut it all off for a time, for a season, to prioritize his walk with Jesus. And then eventually, he went back to share Jesus with all of them. It was like Lot and Abraham. At a certain point, Lot and Abraham had to split and go in different directions. 
Lot wanted to go west where everything was well watered, but Abraham went east because he's following God. He's not following circumstances and situations and opportunities. And when Abraham went east, when Lot went west, God spoke to him and said, I'll give you everything that is north, south, east, and west. Which means that whenever we hit that point where God says, you're going to follow me to the right when everyone is going left, which means that you suffer the loss of opportunities and, and, and open doors sometimes, that God is saying, that's not the one. God says, if you follow me to the right, you're going to suffer temporary loss. But if you lose the west, don't worry. I'll give you everything that is north, south, east, and west. It was after Abraham gave up on the west that God took him outside and said, I'm going to give you everything as far as your eyes can see. It all belongs to you. Mary and Joseph had to turn around and go back to Jerusalem when everyone was continuing on. They had a choice at that moment. They could have just stayed with the company. Well, oh well, I, I guess he'll catch us. <laughs> I guess he'll find us. I guess he'll, I guess he'll find us one of these days. There's a lot of people who think that way. Well, one of these days, the Lord will meet me one of these days. One of these days, he'll come looking for me and knocking on my door. One of these days. That's how Mary and Joseph could have thought. But they made a decision. No, we're going to find Jesus and we're going to find him now. And they went back to Jerusalem. Look at what was the next verse. Verse 44, 45. Look at verse 46. Now so it was that after three days. So first they lived a day without him. And then they sought him for three days without finding him. Now, I, I, first of all, how long was Jesus in the grave? There's this, three days is metaphorical in Scripture. When God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, uh, his son Isaac, how far did they have to journey? How long did they have to journey to get to Mount Moriah? Three days, right? Three days is metaphorical. When you begin to seek Jesus... Nothing happens for three days. And three days is a metaphor for however long it takes to find him. This is the hardest point. Because what we want is as soon as I seek him, I want the heavens to break open. I want the angels to descend and ascend on a ladder. I want the presence of Jesus to, I want him to, to reveal himself in my life. I want to see his glory. I want the miracle. Like, and I just prayed for five minutes. I want all that to happen. And I've talked to people said, I tried it. I prayed. Nothing happened. I got on my knees. I said, Jesus, here I am. And nothing happened. And so I got up and concluded, well, I guess this isn't real. What if Mary and Joseph had done that? You know what? We've looked for him for a day. <laughs> a joke just came to my mind that I'm not going to say, Kevin. My mama would have left. <laughs> She'd been, I'm leaving in 45 minutes. You're either with me or you're not. <laughs> uh, I suppose you, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. My mother would not have left. <laughs> That's a joke. My mom would not have left. Uh, she would have she sought me too. Um, 
They sought him for three days. For three days. If it had been 30 days, do you think they would have given up? If it had been 300 days, do you think they would have given up? Why would they not have given up? Because he was too precious. Number one, they know he's real. And number two, he's too precious. You see, when you stop seeking him, it's because you, you just don't, you forgot how precious. Like, you, you, what we don't realize is how precious he is that if you find him, you found everything. That nothing in this world is worth seeking. Nothing in this world is worth having in exchange for Jesus. That when you find him, you found the deepest desire of your heart. That when you find him, you found the thing that you've longed for from the time you were born. Pastor Robert Daniels talks about when he found faith in Jesus. He had been running from him for his, his whole life. His mother was a praying woman. But he had carried all of this rejection and fear on the inside of him anxiety and rejection and fear. He didn't know his father and he longed for that love of a father. He didn't even know that that's what he was longing for, but he had just lived with anxiety and rejection. And he said, when he found Jesus, when he really found Jesus, he said, my heart opened up and all of the love that I ever longed for came pouring into my heart. And he said, I realized at that moment that this was the love that I had longed for for my entire life. And so what did he do? Every day, he went to his prayer closet and he sought him for hours and hours and hours because he discovered in that initial encounter that that love was to be found nowhere else but in the presence of Jesus. So every day, he went and literally, when, you know, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. He took that literally. He went into his literal closet with the clothes and got on his knees and prayed until that love came pouring back into his heart. And then he felt like he could live the day. What he discovered was that all of the love and all of the encouragement and all of the acceptance and everything that he had ever longed for was always waiting for him in the presence of Jesus. All he had to do was seek Jesus every day and simply make a decision. I'm not going to leave till I find him because he's too precious. So it was that after three days, they found him. And where did they find him? In the temple. He's always waiting in the temple. He was in the place where people come to seek God. And he was sitting in the midst of the teachers. He went to the pastor's conference and just went on in there with the pastor's. None of them knew who he was, but he knew who he was. And he was both listening to them and asking them questions. It's interesting that Jesus would teach by asking questions. He did that in his ministry as well. We'll talk about that one day. The Messiah, whose son is he? They said, David's son. Well, then why by the Spirit does David call him Lord? Psalm 110.1, then the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Like, oh, we don't know. He asked questions. That's how he taught. 
All who heard him were astounded, astonished at his understanding and answers, verse 47. Verse 48. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? You ever prayed that prayer? I know I have. God, why'd you do that to me? Why'd you do that? Why'd you leave me for that long? Why'd you do that? Why'd you make me seek you so, so much? You know how long I've been seeking you? It says, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Have you ever anxiously sought Jesus? Seeking him. We're anxious about everything but Jesus. We're anxious about the bills, the rent, the light bill, PG&E. We're anxious about, you know, what are these, what are this atmospheric rivers? Levees breaking, flooding. We're anxious about the economy, Silicon Valley Bank, CBDCs, crypto, stock market. We're anxious about the economy. We're anxious about our jobs. We're anxious about everything. But the one thing that you can't live without. But we sure do try. I mean, the one thing that we try with all our heart to do is live without the presence of Jesus and make it on our own. Mary and Joseph sought him anxiously. That's the one thing that it's good to be anxious about. Seeking him anxiously means that they had come to the conclusion that this is the one thing that is important in life. And if we don't find him, it doesn't matter if we find everything else. Why have you done this to us? And what does Jesus say in verse 49? He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You hear what Jesus is saying? When he says, why did you seek me? He's not saying you shouldn't have sought me. What he's saying is, you should have known where to find me. Which means that they didn't come to the temple for three days. He had been in the temple the whole time. He had been waiting in the place of worship the whole time. But they still sought him for three days everywhere else. And where was he? The one place that he promised to be, he said, if any two or more of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. But you sought him everywhere else. Except the house of worship. Except the temple. Why did you seek me? Why have you done this to us? What are you talking about? What have I done to you? I've been right where I promised to be. You haven't been present. You're the one who walked away. I never walked away from you. You're the one who turned your back on me. I never turned my back on you. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Verse 50 says, they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Why didn't they understand it? Because they had no clue who he was. Even his own mama and daddy had no clue who he was. 
He grew up in their house, but they had no clue who he was. May I say something to each and every one of you parents? You have no clue who your child is. No clue who it is that you're raising in your own house. The Jesus in them is completely unfamiliar to you. And if you only understood, you know, one of the things I'm beginning to realize is how present the Lord is with my child, with my daughter. Because I get so anxious about it. And then every once in a while I see these signs and I hear these things in her voice and I realize God is with her more intensely and more consistently than I know. And he's put a desire to know him in her that is deeper than I know. Why? Because he has a relationship with her that I know nothing about. Verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. It's almost like he's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> I'll go with you back to your house. I'll come with you to your job. I'll go with you to school. I'll take car rides with you. Yes, I'll go with you at the end of the day. You sought me, you found me, I'll go with you. But the day is coming when I'm going to veer off of the path of following you. And you're going to have to make a decision to follow me. Simple truth today. Jesus is found only by those who seek him. And Jesus is sought only by those who have come to the conclusion that he's worth seeking. And this is true both of believers and unbelievers. Christians and pre-Christians. coming to the conclusion that there's nothing more important in life than finding Jesus. And that once I've found him, I'll find everything else that I need. Isn't that what he said? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Isn't that what he said? Why do you worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What's Jesus saying to his disciples? You're seeking everything else but the kingdom. Why do you worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles are seeking. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. For which one of you by worrying can add a single day to his life? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all of his wisdom was not arrayed as one of these. If this is the way God clothes the lilies which are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the oven, how much more will God clothe you, O you of little faith? Are not four sparrows sold for a dollar? Yet one of them does not fall to the ground without the Father knowing. You are worth more than many sparrows. Give no thought to tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient to the day are the cares thereof. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? What he's literally saying to them is put first things first. Finding Jesus, make that the number one priority of your life. And everything else will fall into place.
But the most important thing is a decision that only you can make. Nobody can make it for you. I don't care how much your mama prays, your daddy prays. Nobody can make it for you. The decision is I'm going to find Jesus whatever it takes. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that that decision would be made. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would reveal this unknown Jesus to us. You would cause our hearts to awaken to our desperate need of his presence. And that you would assure our hearts, according to the promise of Jeremiah 29, 13, that if we seek you, we will find you when we search for you with all of our hearts. Lord, we've sought everything, but today we say we're going to seek Jesus. Awaken our hearts today. Awaken our hearts today. Awaken our hearts today. Cause us to make a decision today. I've lived long enough apart from his presence. I've lived long enough without being aware of his presence. Thank you that this message is both for believers and unbelievers alike. The same mandate resides over every one of our lives. The same decision is to be made every day. I'm going to seek him until I find him. I'm going to seek him until I find him. Strengthen and encourage each and every one today. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our resolve. Awaken our hunger. Awaken our desire for you. Let there be an awakening of desire. Lord, I love altar calls, but I'm also wary of them. Because getting up out of a seat and coming to an altar can make us think we've done something. And we can walk away thinking we've done it, we've sought him. Father, I'd rather us walk away resolving to begin seeking him. Walk away with the understanding in my heart that it starts now. That seeking Jesus starts now. It's not something that's complete when the service ends. It's something that begins when the service ends. Something I've got to take home with me. Something I've got to, it's got to burn in my heart so, so passionately and so deeply that it's got to wake me up in the middle of the night sometimes or wake me up early in the morning sometimes. I've got to seek him until I find him. I've got to search for him with all of my heart. But Father, I do also pray that you would do away with the discouragement that says no matter how much I seek him, I don't find him. No matter how much I pray, he doesn't respond to me. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would encourage the hearts of those who seek you. Scripture says, let such as seek you rejoice and be glad in you. God, there are seekers in this room and there are seekers online. And there are seekers listening to this podcast. There's seekers under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray that such as seek you would rejoice and be glad in you. I pray, Father, that you would encourage the heart of every seeker. And Father, there's somebody listening to this message who's coming to the end of their rope, who feels like I've sought you but not found you. Maybe you're not real. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. Father, today I pray that through this message that you would grab a hold of the hand of that person and say, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Don't stop. Don't stop. Because Lord, every time I find you, 
I must continue seeking so that I can find you again. And when I find you again, I'm going to seek you again and find you again and seek you again and find you again and seek you again. Because nothing is as worthy. Nothing is as valuable. Nothing is as lovely as knowing you. It's knowing you. Not knowing Christianity, knowing you. Knowing Jesus is everything. Knowing Jesus is everything. Knowing Jesus is everything. Not knowing ethics, not knowing values, not knowing doctrine, not knowing theology. Knowing Jesus himself. Everything else is secondary. I know Jesus and I want to know something about Jesus. That's why I study the Bible. That's why I study theology. I want to know Jesus and I want to know something about Jesus as well. But knowing him personally is so much more valuable than knowing about him. So many people go to so many places seeking him. Lord, I'll never forget being in seminary and finding that people left everything to go to seminary because they wanted to seek you, but all they were learning was academic disciplines that didn't bring them any closer to you. So often we think we're seeking you, but we're seeking something secondary. People who've given their lives to serve in public service, thinking they're seeking you, but All they're finding is a life of service and sacrifice. It's not the same thing as seeking you. But Lord, I pray that you would give us revelation of what it means to seek you. To seek you, Jesus. You, Jesus. You are everything. You said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, you are everything. So we seek you with all of our hearts this morning. And I pray that there would just be an awakening of seeking An awakening of seeking, a revival of seeking, a revival of seeking. This is how revival starts, is when folks who never sought him before start seeking him. When folks who never hungered for him before start hungering for him. When folks who never cried out to him before start crying out to him. This is the sign of revival. This is the sign of revival. And Father, I pray that you would visit us with just such a revival of seeking. We love you. We worship you. We trust you to do it, and we thank you for it. In your precious, holy, mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands to the Lord. May the Lord bless you in every way. May he keep you in every way. May he preserve you blameless to his coming in his glorious presence. May he protect you surround you as with a shield. May he give you favor and grace in all that you do. I speak this over your life in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.